This episode of the Lead Machine Growth Show is brought to you by Lead Machine, the step-by-step tech easy system for getting leads online. Are you ready to start attracting your ideal audience right away? Join the five-day Lead Magnet Magic Challenge today at www.getleadmachine.com forward slash magic. Say goodbye forever to struggling with lead magnets and say hello to getting your offers seen by your ideal clients. Welcome to the Lead Machine Growth Show, where you will discover how to tackle your tech, master your message, and design your dream. Paul Guyen, the mastermind behind the Lead Machine, introduces you to trailblazers who inspire you to implement life-changing solutions and systems you can model to nurture your leads and get your offers seen by your ideal clients who will invest in themselves and you. Be sure you visit our website at www.leadmachinegrowthshow.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, tune in and get ready to transform your vision into reality. Hello, Paul Guyon here. I'm the Lead Machine Coach, the host and creator of the Lead Machine Growth Show, the Lead Machine Coaching and Mastermind Group, and the international best-selling contributing author of Journeys to Success, Volume 2, and the Food to the Rescue Cookbook. Welcome to the show, and thank you for tuning in. Today, we have a very special guest and a really good friend of mine. I first met Brad at a Mastermind Boot Camp in 2011, and we've been friends ever since. Brad and I are also uh, fellow drummers and music lovers. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Brad has a unique perspective on just about anything you can imagine. He's the first person I'm aware of who spoke about the generational gap in the workplace and is in an interesting and fun way he talks about it. Uh, He has a knack for verbal communication and storytelling, is an expert in visual and written communication, and that's why I invited him on the show today, because in this episode of the Lead Machine Growth Show, we're, we're creating, talking about creating a personal brand that gets noticed, and especially is important in this crowded, distracted, and unfocused, crazy world we live in. And so let me tell you a little bit about Brad Zalas. Brad Zalas is a serial entrepreneur, former C-level executive and an internationally published author. One of his company's K2 design turned Brad into an instant web pioneer and dot-com executive. As a result, Brad was thrust into the limelight, and he has been featured in Forbes, Time, and Inc. magazines, Advertising Age, and he's appeared in international television shows, uh, podcasts, and other media outlets. Brad is also an award-winning author of Liquid Leadership, From Woodstock to Wikipedia, right up there behind him on the the wall. (laughs) Multi-generational management ideas that are changing the way we run things and the host of the podcast, Awakened Nation, which is a podcast dedicated to deeper conversations with today's outliers and cutting-edge entrepreneurs. So Brad, welcome to the show and thanks for coming here. Paul, thank you so much for that introduction. You know, I do look back and I realize, you know, when we met, 
Um, and you and I had an instant like bond because like, you were, you're very yeah. left brain and the technical stuff. I really, you know, I could pick your brain about it. You, you really dive deep. I'm that right brain guy, you know, who <laughs> sometimes I don't uh, get it right, but you know, I'm willing to put it out there. Yeah, we do work well together. And, uh, mm -hmm. and we meet there in the middle because we have that musical bond too. Yeah. And Brad was just holding up his sticks. Yeah, uh, I got drumstick. I, I actually wanted to say this. Uh, I'm a fifth generation drummer in my family dating back to the Civil War. Really? Uh, my my uh, great, great, I think great grandfather, uh, Henry Bowers, he uh, played drums on the battlefield because they used the drummers to give the commands because that's the yeah. only thing you could hear uh, during the battle was uh different cadence and rhythms that would tell you to either retreat or move forward or whatever. So yeah. um I have my great 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 grandfather's drumsticks, by the way. I don't wow. have, I didn't have them for the show, but I, I have them. <laughs> and uh I have his drum in storage as well. So yeah. Wow. What a small world. You and I are drummers. I know. You know, and today, you know, you came up with the in the marching band side of things, I think, mostly. Yes. And and I came up in the do it yourself, teach yourself how to play rock and roll. My first, the first rock and roll beat I did was uh, by Bob Seger, Ramblin' Gamblin' Man. Oh, I wow. learned how to play that, and I did take lessons for a little while, but it it, it just seemed like ah, I can do this on my own, which is kind of yeah. how I approach everything I do, which uh, which is uh, <laughs> you know fun. You go back and and I dedicated my life to learning. And instead yes. of going to going the the you know the the regular route that everyone else would, I I went to the school of hard knocks, and so but some of us do that uh, anyway, you know, no matter yeah, what we a, do. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, you no, and I grew not. up in an era where most of the college degrees today were were on the job training when you and I were kids. Yeah, and so yeah. now I feel like the next generation got cheated a little bit because. Um, they can sometimes get stuck like, well, how am I going to do this if I don't, you know, go get the education for it? It's like, well, just go do, do it. it. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's been a, my philosophy with everything. Uh, I do, I do realize I made one mistake in my life and that is to seek out somebody in the business sector I wanted to go into as a mentor. I, I just, you know, I did it on my own a little too much. <laughs> So if I had to go back and say there was one thing I had to redo, it would be that. Yeah, I think mentoring and coaching is is really, really important these days because it, there's so much noise out there and uh -huh. there's so many ways to do the same damn thing. It's it's uh it it can be counterproductive unless you get yes. some guidance. So mm -hmm. and that's why I have you on the show today. So Yes, sir. I'm excited I'll, to be on. I'm excited too. So personal branding, yeah. how do you make a splash when it comes to driving business to your small company? Nowadays, I don't know if you read this in the news, but Forbes magazine did a study and they found out that 44% of a person's um, valuation of a company is wrapped up in the CEOs or the founders uh basically personal brand. And so that means you have to now step into the limelight. You have yeah. to, you cannot stand in the background because your competition is going to do it. 
They're going to figure out a way to pass you by simply by just having the CEO go on, you know, some television show or wind up in Forbes magazine. So how do you make a splash when there's so much noise? Because everybody wants to be a personal brand now. Well, <laughs> you remember Gary Vaynerchuk? And I know yeah. this is a clean show, so I'm just going to say it. Gary uh, and also Jeffrey Gittimer are well known for swearing, constantly yeah. swearing. And, you know, this broke the unwritten rule that was always present in corporate presentations. You don't swear. And you definitely yeah. don't do the F-bomb. Well, these two guys, that's all they do. And you're like, how do they, how do they get hired? Well, they do because their stuff works. But here's yeah. the problem, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Every single person I have ever known who went to a Gary V uh, seminar in person came back swearing all of a sudden. <laughs> and they thought, well, yeah, this is going to be my brand. And they're dropping every bomb you can think of. <laughs> stop. Just stop, folks. Don't do it. <laughs> because if that's not you, if that's not innately you, don't do it. So the yeah. best way to make a splash is look what your competition is doing. Look at what the market is doing. And look around at how you could do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. And that's the key. You have to do the opposite because I'm going to ask you a question, Paul, who was the first man to fly over the Atlantic ocean in a single engine airplane, uh, without stopping Charles A. Lindbergh. You got it. Who was the second person? I have no idea. Exactly. The second person was a German national and he flew and guess what? Uh, no one remembers him. Even I don't remember him. He was more <laughs> efficient in his flight. He got there early. He didn't pass out like Charles Lindbergh did and he landed and there was all this fanfare and no one cared because he was the second person to do it. Now think about it for a minute. If you are trying to be like everybody else and there's a leader in your field and you're trying to be like them, you're going to be like that second dude who flew the transatlantic flight. No one's going to remember you, but we do remember the third person who flew over the Atlantic ocean. We all remember her because yeah. she was in her own niche. She did the exact same thing. And it was Amelia Earhart. Right. She was the first woman to fly right. the transatlantic flight. So you have to really sit down and evaluate who you are at every level and get a friend to do this. Get a friend to break down who you are innately. Like me, I'm kind of a smarty pants and I got a good sense of humor, but I'm also really a deep thinker. So my whole show and everything I do will bring you some really powerful knowledge that you can use. And then I make a joke about it and because we learn from humor more. We lean in more from humor. So I want to see more of your own personality when you start to do your own show, let's say, or you want to go mm -hmm. on television or you want to write a blog about this, or you want to wind up in Forbes magazine. Forbes may not be the right platform for you. Uh, and we'll get into that later because not everybody should wind up in Forbes. Some people are Huffington Post people, okay? Mm -hmm. But I want you to really sit down and ask yourself all these questions. And that is, 
what am I naturally? Are you a humorous person? Are you a serious person? Are you left brain? Are you right brain? Do you come from the heart or do you come from the head? You know, Paul, when I sit down and I look at you, I know immediately you're a serious guy. You do have a good sense of humor, but at the same time, you want to get to the meat of the conversation. <laughs> you're yeah, very, you, you don't have patience with small talk. You're, you're that kind of guy. And I also, and I also <laughs> notice in your, your own personal life, you're a Christian man, you're dedicated uh, father and, and person who loves your wife. You, you are the kind of person who these are all traits that we have to look at when we create our own personal brand, because we can no longer separate ourselves from our personal and our professional, and, you know, I mean, on some level, yeah, you don't want to go too deep into your personal life, but let's, let's say we had to touch on it there. There was a very famous, uh, interview where this guy was talking about China and in on the British TV show, and he was going at it. And he's in on a Zoom call in his home office. Well, his son darts in in the middle of this international conversation on a major network like the BBC. And all of a sudden, he's like, uh, uh, he froze. He didn't know what to do. So <laughs> in the moment, his innate nature came out. He's a good dad. He picked his yeah. son up and he held him and he called his wife. She came in. She's Chinese and comes running in, grabs the son and says, I love you. And he leaves and ever. And he's embarrassed because he didn't, he didn't expect this. But guess what <laughs> became the news story for the next two weeks? How right. wonderful this man was with his child. So your personal life is going to sneak into your brand. So you might as well make that list of what you are. Are you a yeah. clean person? Are you sardonic? Are you are you somebody who likes deep conversations? My brand is I I don't like to just do surface conversations. I want to talk about the deeper issues. So that's a good place to start because that's going to start this you know put you ahead of the pack right away. For somebody who didn't do that kind of work, didn't go any deeper than you know I'm just going to be a business guy, you know. I don't need another business guy. I need to know that there's a business guy who loves his kids. Uh, he likes to cook. Maybe he he does uh, paintball battles on the weekend. I need to know that because that's going to make your audience sit forward. And that's what you want. Yeah, I'm, I got a rock and roll gig this weekend. And it's in, a, in an 80s band. And so that's what I'm doing this weekend. I'm, I'm not paintball, but uh, I'm going to be but rocking you, out. But you see... Yeah, this not only does this make you interesting and I hate to say this, but I'm, I'm going to put it out there um, for us men and, you know, women do it all the time, but men kind of shy away from it. What is your sexy quotient? And being a drummer is pretty darn sexy. And so you have <laughs> to take a look at that. And, I, you know, I'm just looking at it as pure uh, business right now. OK, I've had yeah. to coach women that were uh, models, stunning Good looking. I mean, every guy in the room would stop and look, even though their wife was next to them. And I've had to sit them down. And nine out of 10 times, those types of women are so naive. It's not funny. They don't know how they look. And I have to say, look, you are stunningly beautiful. Let's start there. But you have a great personality. Mm -hmm. Let's bring that out. Let's do the silly stuff that you like to do that you're afraid to do. Let's do that on camera. I had an Asian woman who specialized in gaming. Uh, 
and she wanted to focus on the gaming industry. I said, oh, my God, they're going to eat you up because she dyed her hair blonde and she used to wear these big pink or orange sunglasses everywhere she went and high heels. And she was funny as hell. Pardon me. She was funny as heck. And I'm like, I'm like, you know what? That's your brand. Stop shying away from that. Be that um, uh, Asian American woman who loves gaming. And that became her role. She interviews people in the gaming industry. She interviewed me. Hmm. Wow. You are a brand. Get used to it. <laughs> you are, right. you are, think of Starbucks. What is Starbucks known for? Coffee right away. You think that right away. But when you go into a Starbucks store, guess what's at eye level? Everything that has to do with coffee. They oh, don't, yeah. they don't mince words with you you know there's cookies there's brownies uh there's the hot sandwiches everything that you can go with coffee now everything below are salads <laughs> you know below <laughs> eye level is salads yeah. other drinks odwalla products because they understand you're going to go for the quick buy right there be very clear about what you're offering by the way that's what i'm yeah, getting and, at and they have great coffee mugs too and yeah. coffee you can actually yeah. ask for a coffee mug if you're staying. Uh, they'll put it in a ceramic mug for you. So just remember that next time oh, you go into Starbucks. That's a tip huh. from your Uncle Brad. <laughs> so Uncle Brad, <laughs> how did you discover that personal branding was the key to success? Well, we we have to go back to um, 1993, 96 and around there. Okay. So I start yeah. this little company in a nine by 12 office. That's no bigger than my bedroom. And, uh, with a, a college buddy, Doug Cleek, and we're sitting there and we're struggling for that first year. Now, because we already were in the business of design for 10 years and we were both in different niche sectors of the design industry, um, we, we had pretty good clients, but not enough to really pay the bills and go home, you know, and say, Hey, we can buy some cars and maybe a house. No, we weren't making that kind of money. Wow. And our first clients were American express publishing and Banco Popular, which was, uh, used to be the largest bank of the world at one point in, in, uh, the Western hemisphere. So we had good clients, but we were not, you know, crushing it. Let's put it that, that way. Well, Doug walks into the office one day and he goes, uh, this is the summer of 94. And he goes, we have to become an internet company. And I'm savvy. You know, I look at him, I go, what the heck is the internet? Uh, <laughs> and because the internet back then was either email or these 64 bit color, you know, flat screen, you, you know, it's just yeah. horrible. Gray backgrounds with a gray background. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And so, um, Doug and I just retooled the company to start designing, uh, you know, all these, these different websites. We just did GUIs, you know, graphical user interface. Yeah. Well, we attracted another dude who was from the Wharton school of business, David Setner, his fiance worked across the hall from us. She goes, you got to meet my fiance. And he comes over and he looks at our stuff one Saturday and he's like, you know, I could sell this. And we started you know, selling webs, web development. Well, here's the whole point of this long story. <laughs> and that is, uh, I had this idea, maybe I should do an investor relations kit. And with an investor relations kit, you must have pictures of the executives. 
So I hired my buddy, uh, Gavin Ashworth, to come up and take photos of us. And we had these beautiful executive photos. And they were back then, they were done in Chrome. We didn't have digital uh, yet. Digital mm -hmm. was still in its nascent stage. Yeah. Well, two weeks later, I don't know if it was Kismet or whatever you want to call it. Two weeks later, Advertising Age calls, and they're doing interviews and exposés on web development companies in the United States. And we made the list. So I, wow. you know, we were supposed to send pictures of our work, which I did. But I said, you know what? Let me send one of those four by five chromes <laughs> of those photos <laughs> of us together. So I sent that out. And I think it was two or three weeks later, Advertising Age uh, did this whole expose in the center of the magazine. They can only find 10 companies in the entire United States that were building websites. And we made the list along with RGA Greenberg, Interactive, uh, Red Sky, and OnRamp. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, there's our picture. They chose to use the four by five of us. <laughs> and all of a sudden, from that moment on, two things happened. Our phone rang off the hook. And we started doing bigger and bigger jobs. Like our average, um, you know, web development project was about $250,000 each. Okay. So we were getting AOL, American Express. We had the Gary Kasparov uh, versus IBM Deep Blue chess challenge for two years in a row. Ogilvy hired us for that. We did rent uh, the uh, live event after the, the Broadway show opened. We were busy. We did a lot of sections of AOL. Well, this drove business. All of a sudden, that photo of us in advertising age just drove business. Our phone rang off the hook. We'd get five to seven phone calls per day and probably three to four uh, requests for proposals per week. And back then, we were faxing them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, th that was the illusion of back then. We were building the websites for the first time, but we were still using, you know, uh, <laughs> telephones and fax machines and yeah. pagers, you know. But what happened, Paul, and this is what I started to notice is we became magnetic in our marketing because people started calling us instead of us chasing them. That was yeah. number one. Number two, Every time one of my business partners would wind up in being interviewed in a magazine or an article, the phone would ring like crazy, especially for like two weeks or so. So we were, we were in everything from Crane's Business Week to the Wall Street Journal to Advertising Age, as I mentioned. Um, it, and, you know, it, and New York Magazine was a big uh, thing back then. They were doing a lot about Silicon Alley. They called it Silicon Alley because New York City was where it was happening. So we we started to realize that getting that media attention drove business. That's really, and I discovered that by accident. I just couldn't believe it, uh, what was going on. And we did great work, but that we also got on TV because of our work as well. So these things all started to drive traffic towards us. And it's literally what I call magnetic marketing, you know, to, to give a shout out to Dan Kennedy. Dan Kennedy, we yeah. We basically started to attract customers rather than needing to chase customers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so that was accidental and that was a yeah. long time ago. That was back so in 96, 95, yeah. 96, 97, 97, 98. Yeah. Eight, 27, eight years ago. Yeah. 
Uh, so now, now that you've been doing this for a while, you probably have a formula. How can someone start like me? Uh, you know, I was going to get to this earlier. I have a couple of different personas because I, I'm a drummer. Right. That's not that's not first. But by by day, I'm a full time IT director, manager, uh, whatever. And I have a I have that and I have 40 plus years of experience there. Plus, I'm a coach, you know, husband, father and all those other things that we mentioned. And uh, so starting a person, a lot of people are doing side hustles and yeah. uh, part time. I'm doing a transition from full-time work into my coaching practice and, you know, in the middle of that. So I'm juggling both. Mm -hmm. So where, where would someone like me or someone who's doing kind of where I'm at in my life, uh, a transition or having a side hustle, where, where would you start? Uh, I would, I would think, you know, my boss might like to have them separate, but to me, from based on what you just said, I think it's, 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 it's both. And it's all, yeah. or all it's all. So it where would, where would you start? Well, I remember back before I started K2, uh, I was always coming home and having an, an extra project after work. I, wor I yeah. was freelance and I worked at another studio. I worked at three or four different studios. And so I had to be in at 10 and I had to, I would leave at six. And by the time I got home and had dinner, it'd be like eight o'clock at night. I always had an extra project to do. Either I was getting paid to do that project. Or I was working on my own personal marketing because the more studios that you could be available for and you could show them the skills that you had, not only the busier you would be, but the more money you would make. But I was never foolish enough to quit my day job, let's say, until my side right. hustle started to make the equivalent amount of money. So here's a good example. Yeah. Back in, uh, I guess I went to New York City in 1984. And when I arrived there, I worked at several different studios. And for some reason, whenever times got tough, they would just lay off the designers. Those were the people that they could directly build to the client. So I never understood why you would lay off the designers, but not the accounting department. Yeah. It, it made no sense if you're a design firm. Okay. So I found myself getting laid off from two, three different companies after only being there a year, two years, year and a half. And I finally said, you know what? This is horrible. I'm going to go freelance. So I finally went freelance. And in New York City, we had um, temp agencies that would job you out to different agencies. So I started working with them. And eventually, I started to have my own clients. And within six months of that first, you know, going out on my own, I made my yearly salary from the previous year in six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it all boils down to all those little moments, you know, and some of you may have kids, some of you are married and what you have to realize is make that time after your spouse goes to bed or you put the kids to sleep to do your studying, to do your whatever. And I've caught myself, I've had to take a nap at 10 o'clock at night and set the alarm to wake up an hour later to work on something. How yeah. important is this to you? Because we will always make time. We will always make time for something that's important to us. And so I've found if you have your day job during your lunch break, sit down and plan the rest of your day for your side hustle. Maybe you can take a few notes. Like I have a writing project I have to work on uh, today. 
and I've gotten, I'm doing a magazine. I'm producing a magazine for a client. This is mm. her brand. This is her, you know, putting it out and she's the publisher. So this makes her the leader in her industry, which happens to be retail. Well, I've gotten everybody's articles done, laid out. It looks beautiful, except my own. Okay. The cobbler's kids. <laughs> right? right. And so today I have to focus on finishing writing the article. And ironically, it's about this exact subject we're talking about today, you know, building a personal brand. Yeah. And so you, when you're doing your day job, your side hustle, you start to go, okay, at lunch hour, you dedicate maybe an hour, maybe you have to go off site, grab a sandwich and just sit there and eat and write out the different things you need to do. Maybe your goal setting. If you have to do a little something during your lunch hour, you do it. Then when you get home at night, you can do your side hustle. And when you start to make more money in your side hustle than you do in your day job, then you can kind of go part-time or quit your day job. Some people yeah. do not quit their day job at all. Tony Watley has the funniest story. He's the guy who wrote the side hustle millionaire. He loves cars. So while he was an exec, he wasn't, I don't know if he was an executive in the oil industry, but he was pretty high up. He was an engineer um, making $120,000 a year. And we're talking 10, 15 years ago. And he built websites uh, that he could uh, buy and sell. You could buy and sell car parts on there. You know, you can get hubs mm. for your, your tires. You can get custom anything. And yeah. he studied HTML. He studied programming. Huh. He figured out how to get the e-commerce part of the site to work. He figured out the connection to the drop shipping and everything. He did this all on his own at night when he came home. Well, here's the funniest part about all this. His website started generating like a million dollars a year. But because he was raised a certain way, you know, you, you, you work hard. He refused to quit his day job. Meanwhile, his side hustle is making millions <laughs> and he's, he refuses to quit his job. And uh, I, I take like my hat off to Tony because he is a prime example of what you do to get ahead in your own business, whatever you're creating, coaching programs, building a website that, that is an e-commerce driven or starting a brick and mortar company. I mean, if you love this and you feel this is your calling, this is what you're going to do. You're going to make sacrifices. You're going to sleep less. You're going to hustle more. You're going to take classes. You're going to learn the stuff that you don't know and the stuff that you do know, let it shine because that's your skill set. My skill set is graphic design. I am not going to hire somebody else to do my design work because they're, no. they're not, they're not as good as me, you know, 40 years in New York city designing. No. You're, you're not going to keep up with me. <laughs> and so that's, that's something I hold on to dearly. You yeah. Know? So, so, so we talked about kind of compartmentalizing your life, but what yeah. about, you know, me, what about, the, what about the details that the, the colors, the messaging, the, the graphics, the websites, the personal profile that, you know, those kinds of things, uh, how, how do you make that all work now? I'll give you an example of, of one problem that I'm facing, and I know other people are facing the same thing. You've got an old school boss who um, who gets upset when one of our salespeople is also doing a side hustle, selling supplements on the side. And he goes, what are people thinking? They don't, don't, 
doesn't they pay don't they pay them enough that they have to do a side hustle when truly this this person is simply interested in health and you know that's what they're doing and right. uh, so so you've got this visibility issue you know yeah. with with the, with your with your employer and then you got this lack of visibility issue with the people that you're trying to reach so how yeah. do, how do you how do you make that uh well, that how work, many how many of you have a LinkedIn profile and you have your job listed there? Okay. Yeah. Now you uh -huh. have to make a choice. You can remove that job, but if that job is a part of how what you do for a living as part of your brand, yep. then is. you may need to keep that up there. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's say In my case it is. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look at a doctor. Let's say a doctor is working for a particular hospital. Um, that gives him credibility, number one, yeah. or her. That gives him or her credibility as a doctor. Let's say they're an oncologist. Now, let's say they want to write some papers that wind up in the New England Journal of Medicine. Let's say, uh, and I'm thinking of Dr. McCullough. He's a very good example. Dr. Yeah. McCullough is the top cardiologist in the United States of America. He has written probably 50 papers that back up what he is uh, talking about. He also holds a pat several patents on the mRNA vaccine. And he, uh, I don't know which uh, hospital he works with, but he has been called in uh, to testify uh, in front of the Senate hearing committee. Uh, and he's against this use of vaccines during the, let's call it the pandemic that we've had. Now, all of this is setting him up for contradiction. Although he is the top cardiologist in the country, what is coming out of his mouth is not only the truth, it goes against the grain of what we've been, has been pushed on everybody over the past yeah. two years. That yeah. can be rough, okay? Now let's take a look at Paul. Paul, if you don't have pictures of you playing the drums and you're not doing blogs on the rhythm of business, <laughs> you know, tying it back, <laughs> you're doing yourself a disservice. And so these are two really great examples. So I know what Paul does for a living. So, uh, you know, his day job, uh, let's put it that way. Cause it, that's not really what you do for a living. You're a coach, you're, you do it, you do all these things. So your, your day job, you're going to start writing more blogs. You're talking about this lead generation Everything you're talking about actually complements the company you work for. And the salespeople there should actually be reading your blog, taking in your message. You should actually invite sales speakers in to, to teach the sales team. So you see how you can complement what you want to do outside with what you're doing inside and any CEO that's upset that you're doing that when it already is coming back to complement the company, that CEO doesn't realize the, the gold they have in you as an employee. Yeah. And a lot of you, your dream is to become an entrepreneur. That's great and all, but most entrepreneurs just create a day job for themselves. You know, they last <laughs> yeah. 18 hours a day. So yeah, you can make some side hustle money here by keeping your day job, doing everything that complements and rolls back to your day job. But at the same time, you got your coaching clients that you can coach on, you know, a Tuesday afternoon during your lunch break or at night when you get home, you can do a group coaching 
uh, session. I used to do a mastermind that would start at nine o'clock at night. And some people were like, nine, that's kind of late. Well, I had a lot of people who were international. So yeah. that was the only time I could get everybody on board because everybody had a day job. Everybody had kids. Everybody had to cook dinner and put their kids to bed. And at nine o'clock at night, we could sit down and I would only commit to two hours for them. And everybody got 15 minutes to rotate in the mastermind. And I got to tell you, it was exciting. I had Dave uh, Sanderson as a um, a guest speaker on that. I also had uh, Ben Gay the third come in, you know, so I would have a guest speak for a half an hour sometimes on a particular subject for the business. And so you can compliment your, what you're doing during the day to pay the bills, to pay the mortgage with everything else you're doing as well. Um, or you can begin to separate, you know, get ready to leave that company. There's so many pathways to this that literally, you know, I can't give one answer, you know, like Tony Watley, who I mentioned earlier, that's one pathway. Tony figured out that once he could quit his day job, he started multiple sites that made millions of dollars. And that was his goal. He always said, I'm not going to create a job for myself. I'm going to create something I can sell. Yeah. Uh, you make it big enough, I can sell. And it should be generating a million dollars a year, period. That's, mm -hmm. you can't call yourself a CEO of a tiny little company that makes a hundred grand a year. You can, yeah. if you're doing multiple businesses, making a million dollars a year on each business. So yeah. that was his goal, which was to separate himself out. And then he started to coach and teach other people how to do it. And they became millionaires because he was able to reproduce what he had been doing for himself. And now he has a coaching program where you tune in. He has a guest come in and speak. He interviews people. I've been on his show. Um, and it's just, it's exciting to watch. So look at your mentors around you and see what they are doing. What colors are they using? Like, um, Tony, uh, Tony Wadley uses orange and black in this gear where it says 365 driven, you know, 365 days yeah. of the year he's driven to get it done. And so that's powerful with you, Paul, you are a drummer. And drummer is cadence, pace. Um, and what's what's the equipment you have to use? This all goes back to IT. This all goes back to what you do uh, for yeah. your day job. There's a rhythm to it. And if you're not putting some of that up there, shame on you. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> um, you know, this is, this is what makes a brand sexy. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, you have to learn how to dress on camera. You know, some of you may not like it, but uh, you know, you have to dress differently. I have found, I don't look good in light colors, uh, on camera. I look better in dark colors. Um, I pop out, you know, better. I look, you know, women have told me I look sexier in darker colors, dark blues, dark, you know, whatever, black even. And so I wear those colors because it just suits me. Now yeah. I'm going to start a cooking show oh, cool. on YouTube because I've been cooking since I was 10 years old. My father felt a man should know how to cook. And I've noticed a lot of men don't know how to cook. That's going to be part of my brand. And it, we're going to film it outside and I'm going to have, you know, friends stop by and we're going to you know, go today. We're going to make beef chili, you know, or something vegetarian chili for you 
vegans out there, you know, things like that. And um, I'm going to show people how to pair wine with their foods, different foods, because my last name actually means great grapes. We, My name comes from the village in Hungary that used to grow the grapes for the royal wineries for the king. So cool. I, I'm going to delve into that. So that's part of my brand, um, you know, and the brand image colors, you have to choose colors. Um, I know... I know I'm going long in this area, but I want to talk about color choice. I don't know if you know, but Juan Valdez is a real person. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. He appeared in those commercials with the donkey picking, you know, yeah. um, picking coffee, coffee beans. beans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I remember in New York City, I was working at this studio up by Park Avenue at 57th, 58th, something like that. We were right near Bloomingdale's. And... Um, I went out for lunch and I didn't know where to go. And I went to this Starbucks and it, it had a line outside. I was like, Ugh. so I kept walking and there was a Juan Valdez store. I was like, wait huh. a minute. Now I walked inside and it had the opposite colors of Starbucks. Now, some of you may not know this, but as graphic designers, we're trained on a color wheel and we yeah. have your primary and secondary colors. So Primary colors are, you know, like red, blue, yellow. Okay. Those aren't mixed. They are raw colors. That's how they are. But if you mix red and blue together, what do you get? You get purple. Or if you mix um, blue and, and yellow together, those are your secondary colors. Um, you get, you know, orange. So you start to look at the color wheel as it expands and whatever is opposite on that color wheel is your match. So when you see purple and gold together, why do you think it looks good? It's because it's complementary. It's opposites on the color wheel. So what's mm. the opposite of green? Red. Okay. So that's what Juan Valdez's store was done in. Red, beautiful red little tiles with a wave inside the, the place. And people were sitting around on comfortable couches. Unlike Starbucks, it, they were doing the opposite. Although they were both serving the same types of coffee, it was much more, how can I say, family friendly. So look at those right. kind of things. If your competition is using this color, use the opposite. If they're right. doing, if they're being really corporate, you be more friendly. If they're cold hearted and just business tactics, you be warm and loving and supportive. It's simple, really. I mean, branding is simple. I am, I'm open. You, you like want to talk to me because that's how I feel it should be. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> find out who you are innately and bring it to the table, bring it to the forefront. That's what I want to see. Great. Good. Well, Hey, thanks. Let's, let's hold it right there. We're going to pause for a moment to hear from our sponsor. This episode of the Lead Machine Growth Show is brought to you by Lead Machine, the step-by-step tech-easy system for getting leads online. Are you ready to start attracting your ideal audience right away? Join the five-day Lead Magnet Magic Challenge today at www.getleadmachine.com forward slash magic. Say goodbye forever to struggling with lead magnets and say hello to getting your offer seen by your ideal clients. <laughs> and we're back. Sponsored by Juan Valdez. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, I forgot my coffee. So uh, personal branding. Yeah. I remember on one of our mastermind calls, and oh, by the way, I am combining a lot of those things and doing those things, a lot of those things with my mastermind group at night, with coaching during during business hours. I'm I'm on on my lunch break right now doing this show, right? And uh, you know, incorporating those things. So what you just told me was you know a nice kick in the pants, and that reminds me of back in the days when we when we we had our mastermind group together. Right. Uh, and one day, you said, Paul. You really need to tell stories, and you're really good at telling stories, and and yeah. you you are also a great uh, storyteller, and and I've been using that a lot more uh, because I've got a lot of stories to tell. So how important is storytelling to building that personal brand? I know you mentioned Ben Gay the third, yeah. he's a master at just pulling those out of the pulling those little vignettes yeah. out. So how important is that to uh, storytelling to building your personal brand and? How can someone grasp a personal brand narrative? Yeah. Well, your origin <laughs> story is what, what you want to talk about. That's number one, but we'll get to that. Let me, let me back up a little bit. When yeah. I teach people how to become a master storyteller, I have a, I have a chart that I, I give them. And what I do is I go, you know, there's two or three stories that you tell when you're out drinking with your friends. And maybe you don't drink, maybe you just go to a barbecue or whatever, but there's two or three stories that you love telling your friends. I yeah. said, take a, a recorder next time, a digital recorder, tape recorder, or your phone actually has a recording um, software on it and just put it on the table and hit record. And it takes probably about 10 minutes of you warming up and everybody joking before you forget that it's there. And then you start telling your story. And here's what happens when we tell stories amongst friends. We embellish it a little bit. We kick it up a notch. Um, yeah. We punch it. Even though we're not exaggerating that much, it really did happen. It's our energy behind it. After you record those, go home and listen to them and and write it out, um, the transcript, uh, exactly the way it was said. Now, here's the hardest part. To tell that story exactly the same way with the exact same energy that it gets a big laugh because we always try to make that story funny for our friends. And so that's where you begin because you do have an origin story, but most like most people, they disregard it like, well, it's just something I went through or, eh, you know, whatever, you know, but you need to really look at certain stories and why people lean forward as soon as you say them. Here's a good example. Yeah. I was on a podcast that Tony Rubaleski put together before we had podcasting. He was putting this out to his mastermind group and the people who got his newsletter on a CD. Mm -hmm. And he had me on, Ben Gay the third on, and Jim Palmer, the newsletter guru on the show. And I'm sitting there going, these guys are really successful. I feel honored to even be on the show with them. Well, Ben starts because the he's the elder statesman in our group and he starts talking and he starts to talk about having to get back up and go to work after the death of his son. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay. Then Jim starts talking about he got fired from his very lucrative job making newsletters at this one company 
and getting diagnosed with skin cancer in the same week, and then not being able to have a job for 18 months. I mean, he, he, he goes, well, I guess I have to become an entrepreneur and had no clients for 18 months and had to go work at target. And I'm yeah. thinking, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and I almost went deaf as a kid. So I, I talked about that, you know, earaches for years and pain and all that. But here was the result. That was one of Tony's most popular shows. Number one, it got more likes and listens online than he had ever had. And it was simply because the conversation went deep. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, these people didn't mess around. They went into the deepest recesses of what they were talking about. You have to almost look at these happy accidents as a gift. And this was a happy accident because it taught me everything I do on my show, Awakened Nation, right now. And that is never do a surface conversation. Never listen to somebody just go, do you know how successful I am? Let me tell you how successful I am. Um, I don't need to hear that. I want to hear how you overcame alcoholism. I want to hear how, you know, you fell off a cliff 120 feet to your death and you lived. What did, what mindset did you have to come up with when you're broken? Um, these are deeper stories. And I feel these are the stories most people want to hear. Um, what was your question again? Because I know I'm going into some deep areas. What was it? I, I forget you went too deep. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how important it is? It, obviously, it's very important for your personal brand. And how do you craft a compelling personal nar narrative? Yeah. You just nailed it. Yeah. You just nailed it. it. You got to include all that, you know, what what you did that knocked you on your butt. Because I, I think what people forget is, you know, if you grew up in a small town like me, we've been programmed for perfection. So mm -hmm. when I, I used to do presentations, you know, I, I don't want to flub a line. I got to get this all perfect. I got to read my PowerPoint. I got to, you know, act a certain way. I'm an automaton. And I did stand-up comedy for eight years and my comedy coach broke me of that. He says, you grew up in a perfect perfection world and it shows you're on stage trying to be perfect. And that broke me of that bad habit. I just, I don't care what people think anymore. I just do my thing. I'm funny. I know I'm funny. And if I don't bring that thunder, people are disappointed. And, uh, you have to, to, you know, sometimes you have to hire somebody to break down your, your brand because a lot of people <laughs> don't realize, you know, they're too close to the subject just like me. It's hard for me to do my own marketing. It's taken years for me to understand my own marketing. So because I'm too close to myself. Yeah. So sometimes I have to get someone else's opinion. And that's why people like me exist. You call me up and I go, okay, we're going to do some work. We're going to dig into your fears. We're going to dig into your pain points. We're going to dig into what was the worst event that happened in your life. And that's what you have to look at because that, that origin story is so important. Like, why do you, why do you do what you do? You know, people ask me that sometimes. And I said, because my Hungarian father was so hard to communicate with, I appreciate deeper conversations. And my dad was an intellectual. He wasted so much time not having a great conversation with me that when we got older, we had deep conversations 
And after he died, I found a copy of my book, Liquid Leadership, in his library. We're cleaning out his house. He had gone into my book, dog-eared, highlighted, underlined all his favorite parts. Wow. And that, you know, my dad wasn't the kind of guy who who told you how proud he was a lot. And that I have on my bookshelf as a reminder. My dad adored me. He just didn't know how to say it. You know, he showed it in his actions more than in words. And so your your origin story, and I'll tell you who I I make people go watch the comedian Bert Kreischer. I say, if you want to see a master storyteller, go watch him do his bit on the machine. Because Bert, he decided to sign up uh, to take Russian as a language when he went to college. <laughs> and the teacher said, or the, the professor said, look, just take it. I'll give you a B or whatever. doesn't matter how good or bad you are. You get a B because nobody wanted to sign up for it. Well, it turns out they did a field trip. And he went over to Russia and he's over there. And I guess he didn't know this, but the Russian mob runs everything. And they pulled him aside and he was drinking with this Russian guy. And he goes, you've got to meet my friends. Come. And he takes him into the other car and they go, what's your name? And he, he didn't know what to say. The only Russian he knew was to say, I'm the machine. And so he goes, <laughs> I'm the machine. And they go, ha ha. They start laughing and he starts drinking with all these Russian mobsters. And he, he gets such a reputation that when they get off and they get on another train, which is run by another mob, they go, are you the machine that we have heard so much about? And then it's like, <laughs> yes, we have the machine. And he tells what would be a simple story that somebody could tell. He turned into one of his iconic stories and it made him more famous than he already is. He has a new special out. And let me tell you, if you learn to become a master storyteller, which means you have a beginning, a middle and an end to your story and always a lesson, then guess what happens? People are going to lean in. This is a lean forward medium. Okay. When I go to the movie theater, that's a sit back medium. I expect that movie to be produced beautifully. And I'm going to sit there with my arms crossed and I'm going to go, that better be a good movie. Well, mm. in this day and age, we have a sit forward media. Uh, I believe it was Steve Jobs or Bill Gates who said that. This is sit forward media. So I want to see the wrinkles in your eyes. I want to see the tears because you had to go through hell to get where you are today. I want to see the reality that you're a human being and not some icon up there on a podium wearing the perfect suit, the perfect haircut. And then I got to find out some scandal in the news media years later. I want to see authenticity and authenticity means I'm going to screw up my lines. Sometimes I'm going to introduce you to my girlfriend. You are going to see me fall. <laughs> you know, you're going to see <laughs> bloopers on my YouTube channel. Um, this is what, I, yeah. you know, this is what it's all about in the stand age. Yeah. You know, you mentioned your father and, um, my, uh, he passed away in, uh, 85. And so it's been a long time, uh, getting to know him since mm -hmm. he's, since he's passed away. Uh, you know, because I've had children, I've learned that I'm a lot like him. Well, when my mom passed away and a few years ago, 2016, I found a letter that he had written to, uh, to my mom and it was about wow. each of us children. And, uh, it said something like Paul, Paul, Paul. So unhappily seeking happiness. 
and uh it struck Whoa. me it's like and in one time one he called me a hedonist and i said you know you're right and uh, that was a long long time ago uh it made me think about though my origin story of why i got into it is because my i got into computers just because i had an ibm pc i send in a, a resume into this computer store and it still had the the tractor you remember the tractor <laughs> dot matrix <laughs> it still had it still had that attached to it and they said oh he's got a pc they hired me in in sales and yeah. um i ended up specializing in medical office billing systems and i sold my first wow. sale was to was my first sale was to my mother's medical practice and at the time my dad was sick and in the hospital and uh we had gone live on the on that just like it was in june late june of 86 yeah. and um we went live on my mom's system and we I went to see my dad on a sunday morning and I said, Dad, we went live on Friday and we found $80,000 in unbilled insurance. And it's all valid. We can bill it. We can claim it. And we're electronically billing the insurance companies, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Medicaid, and Medicare. Wow. And <laughs> my father died that day. Wow. And I know that he was proud of me he also knew he could leave he knew yeah. you would take care of things that is well, my that's amazing story paul my my father well we're native american mm -hmm. and that day i didn't know this until many years later um he asked my mom for for, for permission to go oh so he he knew he was going but being a very spiritual man and and uh his native american background warriors would often ask their their spouse uh if it was okay to go to the to the next level and he was wow. telling me about seeing lights and and things like that and i didn't understand it but yeah. that's that's what made me stick with it because i felt like a loser but i had my first success with um because hedonist background all that background <laughs> you know uh but i had my first success and i was proud to tell my dad hey i finally done it and uh you know had and from there it's just been upward since but it yeah. was all anyways i wanted to share that with you because you shared your dad and yeah. yeah sometimes we don't we don't know we don't know yeah. if people appreciate us or yeah. not and that's why we need to let people know that we love them and appreciate them yeah you know? thanks for sharing that paul you know because yeah the reality is is we're we're humans you know, and we're sitting here and a lot of times we're pretending to be perfect and polished and all this, but in this day and age, we have to know, like, and trust you to do business with you. Yeah. So these stories get people to lean forward and understand why you do what you do. Why are you driven to do what you do? And not everybody's going to like you and that doesn't matter. I had yeah, one, one person, when I first launched Awakened Nation, this guy left a comment with one star and basically said, this guy is a, and he used an expletive that <laughs> uh, I'm not going to mention here, but he called me a particular type of bag uh, that one oh. can buy. <laughs> and so oh. <laughs> it was clear he never listened to the show because I, it's not about me. 
It's about right. the show. So you're going to get pushback like that. And you can't take it personally. Um, you know, I've had people <laughs> hate my book. You know, I had one guy, he gave me two stars. He goes, not a very meaty leadership book. But then he spent about 10 paragraphs telling me what he liked about it on Amazon. It was such <laughs> a good review. I put it in my the update, the 10th anniversary edition, because he told me what he did like about the book. And I realized <laughs> the only reason he gave me two stars is it wasn't Christian-based. He's a Christian-based uh, person who reads a lot of Christian-based books. And yeah. I've been quoted in quite a few Christian books. So I guess he got attracted to that. But mm -hmm. um, I had somebody on Goodreads just say, this guy thinks he's hot, you know, whatever. And <laughs> I read it and she clearly didn't read the book. She just didn't like me. And yeah. I look closer. She had written 435 reviews on books. So let's let's talk about somebody who thinks they're relevant, <laughs> but calls me somebody who thinks I'm relevant. And at the same time, I'm thinking she could have written her own book with the amount of reviews she had written, which is funny. Right. So you're, you're going to get pushback. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like your style because we're in the day and age of people just say whatever the hell's on their mind and they don't care. And so we right. have to kind of ignore that, you know, that they, they say, they just blurt it out. And there's nothing we can do about it, but you, it's going to affect you because you're going to read stuff and you're going to go, well, yeah, they don't like me. Well, take a good look at what they're writing. It says everything about them and not about you. They are miserable people. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It's almost always the case. So Paul, what yeah. else do you want to talk about here? Well, I, we're at the top of the hour and uh, I just have a, a couple of more questions we talked about you know most importantly i i wanted to, to to get out of you what one can do to stand out in the crowd and i think you did that and, and when we when we got into the deeper part of our conversation about storytelling yeah i think that might be that's something that i latched on to that i learned that uh, and i already knew this but people lean in when you tell stories and uh, they do they're they're, they're hot well, here's a, here's a funny thing. I, I used to sell life insurance years ago. My, my ex-wife wanted me to get involved in something that would produce, you know, whatever residual reliable income. income. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't for me, but what happened is I remember going into this home and my sales trainer has been doing this like 20 years. And we had a guy who wasn't going to budge. And we had one product I really believed in, and that was a year's salary in case the spouse dies. You get you yeah. get paid a continuous salary, uh, so the 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 surviving spouse can survive. Yeah. And I sold that, and it was raining like crazy on Long Island. I mean, it was a horrible, blustery day, and I sold that contract. And I walked out, and I felt proud because this guy. Um, he was getting sicker by the day and we were able to cover him. So I get mm. to the car, get in the car and I start it. And my sales manager, a little bit older than me, just looked at me and goes, how in the hell, heck did you do that? <laughs> and I went, I go, do what? He goes, you sold that guy. Everything about him said no to everything, but you got him to buy that policy. 
how did you do that? And I said, well, I looked at his body language, which, you know, he was crossed like this. His wife wasn't. And I said, I just told the story of my father's, you know, death and my mother's death. And, you know, my, my dad was much older than my mother. My dad was 13 years older than my mom. So we assumed my dad would die first. But that's not how it happened. My mother yeah. got a tumor in her brain and she died in 2006. Uh-huh. And I said, we weren't prepared for that. We were prepared for dad to go first because yeah. he was yeah. born during the Great Depression. You know, you just assumed the older guy was going to go. And yeah. so I said, you don't want to be caught with that. I said, and it's only 56 bucks a month. I said, you know, I, we didn't know what to do. Thank goodness hospice took care of my mother. Um, she had no assets, but they would have seized her assets. And if she had any, I said, this is just, you know, I, I wish we had something like this in place when I, you know, had to go through this with my mom and dad. And that's what made them lean forward. Yeah. You know, and I knew that that was, you know, I want everybody who's listening to start viewing your life differently. When I decided to write liquid leadership and become an author and become a speaker, I realized every moment was a chance to have a story, whether I'm talking to the cashier at Starbucks or I'm getting on a flight and I'm sitting next to a woman with a bratty kid. These are moments and you, I started carrying a, a little, you know, flip notebook and I would just jot down the little details of the story and mm. put it away, maybe write it all down a month later. But if you look up Ryan Estes, E-S-T-I-S, Ryan Estes is one of the top keynote speakers in the country. This is a guy who makes a million dollars a year speaking. Mm. Ryan was flying back to Minneapolis to visit his parents because his brother had just died and he was in a miserable mood. He was just in a horrible space and he stopped at Starbucks to get a cup of coffee. And this woman behind the counter just was a gem lit up the whole thing and made that cup of coffee, the best cup of coffee in his lifetime. Well, he started telling this story on stage of how, you know, you can deliver extra value and he does this to salespeople. Well, do you know that story took on a life of its own? And he eventually found that woman again, brought her to one of his big keynote events, and they were able to actually physically meet this woman. And, you know, she got an award from Starbucks and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and so this was a real story. And this is a story most people would just go, huh, like <laughs> that, you know? Most of us do that. We'll have a spiritual awakening right on, you know, I-95 <laughs> and, <laughs> and go, wow, that was a God wink and go right back to what we're doing. But we need to share those stories because Amen. in this world right now, people need to know that those things are true. Those things happen. Those miracles that put you where you are today. Yes, albeit they were painful, someone out there in the crowd needs to hear it because it'll give them the strength and the resilience to keep going. Right on. And, 
That's why we do what we do. At least that, that's what I believe. I, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. So before we go, I, I appreciate you being being here, Brad. Um, sure, Paul. It's Thank been, you. It's been a delightful. I, I'd like to have to have this conversation continue. Maybe we can have you on again. Uh, sure. But before we go, what are three things our listeners can do today to put these ideas into action? Number one, if you're afraid or petrified, that's what you should step into. <laughs> okay, so if you're afraid to go on camera, do it. If you're right. afraid to speak, if you're afraid to put yourself out there, do something do to break that fear. Just do it because I was petrified to go on stage and speak. I took stand-up comedy classes and eventually <laughs> for eight years, I opened for Lisa Lampanelli, Tom Rhodes. I even was on stage with Lewis Black. Um, a lot of the people I get on my podcast um, the comedians that are on there, they were friends before they became famous. So I've had people on have their own HBO special and people are like, how'd you get that person? Because I was there helping them write before they were famous. And yeah. getting on stage and getting them hired gave me a purpose and it gave me the skills I needed to now be the kind of keynote speaker you cannot follow. Okay, yeah. so take that pain that fear and turn it into your power. Okay. Number two, hire somebody, sit down with a friend, get somebody to break down and evaluate what gifts you bring to this, uh, you know, to this arena right now, because you've got something, the je ne sais quoi, as the French say, that's certain <laughs> something, you know, um, yeah. and we need that light right now. You have a gift you have a light. And if you're having trouble figuring out what that is, it's usually the thing that you poo-poo to the side and say, mm-hmm. eh, that was no big deal. Yeah, it was because a lot of people didn't do it. You know, if you were a, a, an Eagle Scout, we automatically know that goes on your resume for the rest of your life. If you ever became a black belt, you put that on your resume. If you walked on the moon, you put that on your resume. But for the average person, you have to look back and say, you know, I served in hospice for a year and it almost broke me, but I did it because of my mom's death. Or maybe you didn't communicate so well when you were a kid and that drove you to now be a master communicator. You've got to break down who and what you are and be brutally honest. That's the hardest part. Be brutally honest. Like me, I talk too much on my own show. (laughs) I, I joke around when I should be serious. I've learned that those survival skills, and that's what they were, can now be used for good, <laughs> okay? Yeah. And and number three, don't be afraid to be yourself and bring those skills, you know, like Paul's a drummer. Paul, Paul also sings uh, in his clergy, you know, at, at his church. He's very active in church. Um, he's a very loving person who, believe it or not, even though he's incredibly left-brained, he has a wonderful, loving heart. And those things, those compassion parts, that drumming part, that loving part, you can see it in the work he does. So once you figure out who you are, bring those things to the table, bring them to what you're doing. Um, Because we're in a day and age where, like I said at the beginning, nobody does business with you now unless they know, like, and trust you. 
So if you can get out there and be that wonderful person that makes people lean in and don't lie to us, be real. <laughs> you know, some people like <laughs> yeah. to be fake. We have a mutual <laughs> friend of ours who loves to write books about how spiritual he is. Well, his life is pretty messed up, you know, face <laughs> those demons and be honest to tell us about those demons. I love you. Yeah. Do you know who Chris Salem is? No, I don't think so. I've, Chris I've is a wonderful speaker. And he said, you know, rarely do I have some, my friends on my show because a lot of times they want to pitch or they want to, you know, do salesy stuff. And I go, that's not what my show's about. Uh, Chris yeah. asked to be on the show. And I said, well, Chris, the only way I'm going to have you on the show is if you talk about your alcoholism uh, and we do a deep dive into that. And he said, Brad, not only do I want to talk about my alcoholism, I want to talk about my sex addiction, my addiction to narcotics, my rage and anger and everything, everything else I had to go through to become the man I am today. I said, this is going to be a good episode. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot, of, you know, we're not in our parents' generation where these negative things, you just don't share them. You know, that's an embarrassment to the family. Yeah, don't mention, you know, somebody who did something to you in the family because that embarrasses the family. But you can craft it in such a way that people realize what you went through. And that makes us lean forward and we want to do business with you. We want to talk to you. We want to go, your story inspired me. And that's where you start. I mean, the, you and I both know this, Paul. When you have a happy accident, sometimes you have to go with it. And some people are like, well, what do you mean by happy accident? When my <laughs> book came out, Liquid Leadership, okay, it's a business book. Well, when I started doing my keynote speeches, I realized I was going nowhere telling people about the next generation and how different they are. Well, two things shifted. First, I started to show the toys on stage, a GAF yeah. Viewmaster compared to a Nintendo 64. Okay. And that's when people realize, oh, they're trained differently. But when I started talking about parenting, almost every executive, almost every person in the room would lean forward. And believe it or not, people would hire me not to be their coach for executive and business things. They would hire me to teach them how to speak to their six-year-old. That's a happy accident. And I went with it. I started changing my speeches to talk about parenting and how we change this next generation. And that was Fabulous. the fun part. Yes. Thank you, Paul, by the way, for yeah. great questions, by the way. And thank you for the, uh, for the, uh, the nod about breaking me down. And uh, it's fabulous. I appreciate that so much. Uh, and sure. you're offering a, a free gift. It's a PDF copy of the international retail article called get seen, get noticed, Drive Business, Seven Steps to Launching Your Personal Brand Now. And you can get it at www.leadmachinegrowthshow.com forward slash brad-zalas-gift. And you spell Zalas, S-Z-O-L-L-O-S-E. And uh, there'll be a link on the episode page. You'll be able to follow it. And uh, you can also learn more about Brad at uh, www.bradzalis.com. Thank you. Brad, I'm so thankful that you came on the show and for sharing this. Uh, it's been fun. And uh, there's there's a lot more to talk about. So we'll have to have you back. <laughs> we'll have you and back again. 
Thank yeah, you, Paul. So thank- I re- I really appreciate this because you you and I are friends, so we get a chance to really just let our hair down and chat about this stuff. So thank you. Yes. So and remember, faith and action go hand in hand. So put the pedal to the metal. And until next time on the Lead Machine Growth Show, I'm Paul Guyon. So long for now. Take care, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Lead Machine Growth Show with Paul Guyon, where we show you how to tackle your tech, master your message, and design your dream so that you can transform your vision into reality. Remember to visit our website at www.leadmachinegrowthshow.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Lead Machine Growth Show. Thank you.